you know, these Facebook pages with millions of followers were sharing this meme. And a lot of all of a sudden people just started buying the book. Yeah, I think in within two days, it sold upwards of 5000 copies in like two days. Yeah. Uh, I, I was just like watching the numbers come in. Like, is this even real? What is going on? Like, I think I the moment that really did it for me was when I saw the book was in the top 100 of all books on Amazon. What Were You Thinking, the podcast that goes beyond the pages of the books we love. I'm your host, Dana Goldstein, and I invite you to join me as we ask authors to share the story behind their stories. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to a brand new episode of What Were You Thinking? Just to give you a heads up right from the start, there is swearing in this episode, mostly because the title of the book has some profanity in it. So watch out for little ears. This is your opportunity to either put in your earbuds or pause and listen to it when there aren't little ears around. Because this week, I am talking with Brian Asman, who is the author of Man, Fuck This House. Okay, I have to say, this book was an absolute trip for me. The only reason I picked it up was because I had seen it everywhere on social media, and it sort of piqued my interest. And Brian was amazing in this conversation because his story is unusual in that he's agented and his agent was fully supportive of himself publishing. And he sold like 5,000 copies of this book in a couple days. It's just, it's amazing. I'm going to shut my mouth and let Brian do the talking and tell you the story of this book and how it came to be and why it was so successful. I hope you enjoy this interview with Brian Asman, author of Man, Fuck This House. Okay, first things first, I want to know how your how Dracula is your pup. Because okay. I saw that he your post was, I'm sorry, it was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a rough one. So essentially what happened was we were at Dog Beach and he was playing with this usual tennis ball. And uh, he lost it. I looked all around. I couldn't find it. I was like, darn. And then this couple was like, hey, we just found like a smaller Kong tennis ball. Um, do you want to, does he want to play with this? We found the bushes over here. And I was like, oh, sure, this will be fine. So I start throwing that for him, you know, and he's loving it. Then all of a sudden he's like, he brings it back to me. He's at my feet. I look down and it's just gone. And I'm like, what just happened? I look all over. He, it was just in his mouth like a second before I looked up, looked away. I'm like, it's just completely gone. I'm like, I think he swallowed the thing. So I had to call the vet. They're like, yeah, bring him in for x-rays. So I had to bring him into my regular vet for x-rays. They're like, yep, we found it. It's clearly right here. And so then I had to take him to the emergency vet for an endoscopy, um, which was $5,000, but they did get it out. Um, yeah, and they were, they were like, we can try the endoscopy first. If that doesn't get it out, then we'll have to do surgery and you will have to pay full price for both. Wow. So, which would have been another six to eight thousand dollars for the surgery. So, I would have been in the hole, like, you know, over ten thousand dollars. And um, I know I, this really has nothing to do with writing, although I would like to say, um, everybody, please go buy Brian's books because now he has this huge vet bill to pay. But Dracula yeah, was like, was not an intentional, uh, I want to say, I don't want to say pet because some people get really upset about this, but 
Dracula was not an intentional accompaniment for you, right? Yeah. Okay. I mean, you can say, but I, I honestly, I don't get upset about people's word choice. I just okay. generally feel that's like a bad way to approach life if you're going around policing other people's language. Mm-hmm. Um, no, so Dracula, was, I was kind of trying to decide what I wanted to do, whether to, you know, stay where I'm at, do something different, yada, yada. So my life was kind of up in the air, and I was like, you know, I really miss having a dog, though, so I will foster a dog. And I bring Dracula home, and within, like, I don't know, six hours, 12 hours, or something like that, I just texted the the rescue agency and was like, yeah, I'm going to keep him. (laughs) Like, you know, I I just, I brought him home, and he was just perfect off the bat. Like, um, completely house-trained, crate-trained, knew a couple tricks, um, was super chill. He settled down into my place right away. Like, it was great. He had the Zoomies for about 10 minutes, and uh, he actually, uh, he broke my uh, my TV sound system like the second he walked in the house he ran awesome. right across the room slams into that breaks my sound system I'm like oh no and then I, I think after that he was like oh I probably shouldn't have done that and uh so he settled down and uh you know he's great he's he loves doing activities but he also is very chill he goes to bed at like seven o'clock at night every night and doesn't get up until like when I get up in the morning, you know, he's super patient and like, you know, he's just smart and learns tricks easily and he's great. Yeah. When you know, you know, right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I feel, I feel very lucky to have him and uh, he's a great, great activity partner. He's my best friend. So yeah. we have, we have a good time together, even when he's costing me $5,000. That's Yeah. That's what we do for them. Um, okay. So the reason that I reached out to you, many, many months ago was because of your book, Man, Fuck This House. I could not go anywhere on social media without seeing people talk about this book. And it's it wasn't your first book. And, you know, you you have a long um, history as a screenwriter in filmmaking, in um, uh, short story anthologies. You have other novels. So what the hell happened with this book? <laughs> you, you know, I, I, I don't want to say I got lucky because that is that's a part of it, but really, it was the kind of the climax of what I've been trying to do for the last couple of years. It's the result of all the work I've put in, and in addition, some luck. So yeah, um, essentially, I've been writing. I would say I've been writing in earnest since 2016 or so. I uh, published my first novella in 2019 with Eraserhead Press. And then in, you know, 2020 rolls around, right? And my agent has been trying to sell a novel. And, you know, all the all the publishing houses stopped accepting agented submissions for the first time ever. And essentially publishing just shut down for a couple months. And I was like, you know, I don't know what to do right now because this like cool I can write yet another like she already had like two novels that she was shopping at that point I'm like I guess I can just write another one um but you know I was like Jenny you keep telling me to build my platform right and how do I as a writer how do I build my platform if I don't have a lot of writing out there and she was like well you know what about putting out novellas you know you put one out before and you know I was like yeah I can do that. So I, I came up with this idea where I was going to write three, three, I was actually going to write four novellas in four different genres, just as kind of like a more of a marketing thing than anything else. I'm like, here, look what Brian can do. We were also talking about at that time, trying to get me some IP work, like writing tie in novelizations. Hey there, just me popping in to explain IP. IP stands for intellectual property. And basically 
That happens when a large company like Disney or Lucasfilm hires writers to write books under those banners. So when you see all those Star Wars or Star Trek or Disney type books out there, they've been written under the intellectual property banner. And I was like, okay, I'll just do a couple different genres. So if like, you know, the, you know, Fox wants me to come do an aliens tie-in book or something like that. Well, here's my sci-fi book, you know, or if, uh, you know, Blumhouse is like, we need someone to adapt the new Conjuring movie. Then, you know, here's my hot house book or something. So the idea was I'd put out four, four novellas, like every, like one every three months or so. And the first one, Jailbroke, came out in January of 2021. Uh, it was a, uh, sci-fi weird sci-fi kind of like a rick and morty futurama type vibe uh that did okay for like you know a novella but you know this is all an ongoing experiment you know and then my next one came out at the end of april called nunchuck city Mm -hmm. which was um really for the people it was for they absolutely loved it and that one actually did fairly well um so I was I was building my social media presence. I was making more contacts, and I was starting to slowly establish a, a reader base. And so the the third novella, the third plan novella, I wrote twenty thousand words twice on it, and just couldn't find my way into the book. And so I decided just pivot. You know, I want to come back to that one at some point. Uh, and then I wrote Man Fuck This House, and I wrote it in a, like honestly in about six weeks. Um, it just kind of once I once the story clicked, it just started boom 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 boom. And the, so the funny story about that book is that originally I had, the concept was originally going to be like a, uh, like a fratty ghost comedy, kind of like a Van Wilder, but in a haunted house type thing. Uh, Cause I, I, when I was in college, I was in a fraternity and I lived in a house where spooky shit happened all the time. Um, So my roommate, like one of my roommates claimed that he saw an old man standing over his bed one night. Uh, weird noises and things like that. My my girlfriend at the time stayed there for like three days while we were away um, watching the dog. And she was like, yeah, I felt like someone was watching me the whole time and like all this other spooky stuff. So it was just going to be like this absurd ghost comedy where like, oh, a guy wakes up and there's like a dick drawn on his face, but the door was locked. So who could have drawn the dick on his face and stuff like that, you know? And then... My my friend Autumn Christian like tweeted something that was like like this tweet and I'll say something out of pocket about you, and so I, I'm like sure I'll I'll play and she goes I feel like you write exclusively for bros and it makes me feel left out. Oh, and I was like wow and I I was just about to start writing this book and I was like you know what pivot time um, I was like I'm gonna write a book about a family. And the the inspiration for the specific family came. There was a book called Post Secret that was really big in the early two thousands. I don't know. It was like a cop, one of those coffee table books. Um, that was there was a website Post Secret where people would write in with like, here here's a secret I've never told anyone. Yeah, it was all anonymous. <laughs> and one of them was uh, the secret which I will never forget was I love one of my children. So that was the inspiration for the mother-son relationship in the book. And once I had that dynamic figured out, the book wrote itself more or less. Because I, like, I've always found, like, once you can see firmly who the characters are, like, the plot will come together because, you know, you'll know what that character, based on what they've experienced and who they are, you'll know how they react and you'll know how things will escalate. Are you, you're more of a pantser, I think. 
I think I read, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, I am 100% a pantser. Okay. I so, wish I could plot. My God, it would save me so much time if I could plot, but I can't. Like, yeah. But I, I feel like, you know, like with Nunchuck City and, and Man Fuck This House, like I can't imagine how you could even plan that kind of insanity. Yeah, it, it, like, I mean... Some people can, and some people like you, like me, are just. Uh, I need to figure out who the characters are, and then everything, every situation leads to the next one, and so it's really developing organically. And luckily, I've done this enough where I think my subconscious does a lot of the heavy lifting. And by by the time I get to the end of the first draft, I've actually written something that looks like a book, thank God. And then from there, it's a matter of going back and thinking about like, okay, like what elements do I want to play up? Uh, what needs to be cut? Like there was. You know, in Man Fuck This House, there was initially like an extra 50 pages at the beginning of them like going to a hotel and having a weird encounter with the clerk. Because I think originally I was going to do like the town is super weird, too. <laughs> um, and then decided to cut all that stuff out at the advice of my editor. So, yeah, I mean, I like it's a lot of the what I do is just I write the kind of books I want to read, which are ones that have a certain pace, certain style and certain energy to them summarize man fuck this house for people who have never heard of it i can't imagine that it hasn't passed in front of somebody's eyes at some point on social sure. media so sure go okay uh it's the so i would summarize it as it's the standard haunted house story of a family moves into a new house and spooky things happen except in this case there are some very odd family dynamics at play and uh, this isn't your everyday haunting either Perfect. That's a great way to sell it. Um, did you self-publish this one? Yes. Okay. So my my first novella came out with a small press called Eraserhead, and uh, they're great. Love them. And then the three novellas, uh, the couple of novellas I put out since, I've self-published. Um, and I'm kind of unusual in the self-publishing world because I do have an agent, and my my self-publishing career was done as a strategy that I worked out with my agent. Oh, so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Tell me more about that. Cause you don't typically hear of that kind of relationship with an agent who is like fully on board with you. Cause you created like this company to sort mm -hmm. of manage this self-publishing arm, right? Mutated media. Yeah, ex exactly. And I use that for my film work too. Um, so yeah. Yeah. So my agent and I were talking out my career and what to do and how to get more, uh, how to build my platform and make myself more attractive to traditional publishers. And what we what we settled on was just putting out some novellas myself, right? So I could build start build, cultivating that fan base. Mm -hmm. And what she told me was essentially that uh, for self-published novel, she's like, don't put out anything novel length. And here's why. There are two reasons. One is so that traditional publishers can sell your debut novel. That's a that's that's a selling point for her as an agent with the publishers oh. is they want to pick up my debut novel. You know, the other reason is that when they look at book sales, from what I've told what I've been told, uh, traditional publishers will look at, at the sales of your previous novel to decide if they want to take you on or not. Whereas they don't necessarily look at novella sales as a reflection of your marketability for a novel. So those were the two main reasons why we decided to go with 
putting out a, a bunch of novellas. And I, I think also Jenny, Jenny Dunham, my agent, recognized she's like, Brian has a metric fuck ton of energy, and he's going to explode if we don't find a way to, re to release this energy into the world somehow. Yeah. Yeah. So, at, at what point did you realize that, man, fuck this house was actually kind of a big deal? You know, about six months out after it came out. So um, essentially what happened was it built it, it built up a bit of buzz within the small horror community. And when it came out, it was my best selling book. So uh, out of the novella series so far. And I was like, cool. Each like each novella was doing exactly what I wanted it to do. Right. This one sold X number of copies. This one sold more copies. And this next one sold even more copies. Right. So I'm like, got the upward trajectory. That's all I was hoping for was just, yeah, move a few more copies each time. Uh, get a few more readers, build that momentum, right? And so, you know, uh, Man Fuck This House was doing pretty well. And, uh, you know, it, it had a bit of a tail to it. So even after it came out, it was still selling a couple copies here, a couple copies there every day, basically. And then uh, in the end of March 2022, uh, I got tagged on Twitter. There was just a post uh, from a writer who I believe, I think she had been a writer in like The Daily Show or something like that. And she uh, had uh, just posted, this is the best uh, screenshot of my book with, uh, this is the best title for a haunted house book I've ever seen. <laughs> and so that tweet went went somewhat viral. And then someone screen capped that tweet and shared it to a bunch of Facebook groups. And though that is what actually went mega viral <clears throat> was, um, you know, these Facebook pages with millions of followers were sharing this meme and a lot of all of a sudden people just started buying the book. So it was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm fairly public with a lot of my figures because of the contest that I'm running to win a haunted house. But, um, yeah, I think in within two days, it sold upwards of 5000 copies in like two days. Yeah. Uh, I, I was just like watching the numbers come in. Like, is this even real? What is going on? Like, I think I the moment that really did it for me was when I saw the book was in the top 100 of all books on Amazon. Um, I think I think it got down to like 87 or something like that at one point, um, which was pretty freaking amazing, you know, and then it had a again, it had a bit of a tail on it. So we had this massive bump in sales. And then for weeks afterwards, um, it was moving, you know, moved 5000 those first two days, but then it was moving a couple hundred a day, um, every day, and then bookstores started picking up on it from there. So, um, you know, to this day, it regularly sells a, a large number of copies per month in bookstores. Um, and it's been great, uh, obviously. <laughs> and, but it, it's just kind of amazing that, like, you know, you never know what's going to hit. And you right. never know when something's going to hit, you know? Yeah, and now it's sort of like it gave you that cred that you needed for a publisher to pick up your debut novel, right? So, yeah. okay, I, I, there's a few things I want to ask. So will there now be a fourth book, a fourth novella? Um, at some, so there, well, I've done more novellas since. Um, so last year at the end of, uh, in December, I had a, uh, I, I wrote a holiday horror novella called Return of the Living Elves, <laughs> which is essentially a, it starts off as kind of a tribute to Return of the Living Dead and goes into some very weird directions. Um, so that one is, that one's already out. And then um, my next novella is coming out in October, October 24th. Yeah. It's called Our Black Hearts Beat as One. It's uh, very different than my other stuff. Uh, this is more of like a dark, occult, fantasy, love story type thing. 
um, about love and lost love and breakups and, you know, trying to figure yourself out, you know, and dealing with uh, dealing with loss and depression and things. So that one is uh, for pre-order right now. If your audience would love to go pre-order it, you can either pre-order the ebook or paperback on Amazon, or you can go to my website, brianasmanbooks.com and pre-order signed copies there. Okay, well. excellent. Now tell me about this haunted house contest. Yes. So I think this is one of the things that actually helped it go viral was I decided. So essentially I was like, you know what? If I if I sell a million copies, I will give away a haunted house. And then I have other step goals like along the way as well that I'm doing. But um the idea for that came, I, I was like homesick one day and looking for something to watch on watch on streaming. And I stumbled across the guys from Ghost Hunters or Ghost Adventures, whatever it was, with the, you know, that uh, those guys, they they made a movie. Uh and so I'm like, okay, you know what? This looks like the kind of like low effort thing i can watch without watch and like kind of like almost in the background while i sit here with a fever and so i turned that on and in the opening of the movie he hears about this house that's super haunted in like indiana and decides to just buy it from the owner right and i was like oh i should do a giveaway like this so you know if the book ends up selling a million dollars a million copies then i will buy a, i will find a haunted house somewhere Probably Ohio, Indiana, Detroit, somewhere like that. Honestly, this isn't going to be like like a haunted beach house in Malibu or anything. <laughs> not uh, but I, you know, I, I think probably what will end up happening is it's you know I'll find an owner who's a legend, a haunted house, buy it, and then give it away, and then uh, it'll hopefully end up going to someone who needs you know needs a house or something like that in that area. You know, um, I haven't figured out the details of how the giveaway is going to happen yet, but um, that's yeah. all. It's all real and it's all happening. Is like an exorcist or a ghost hunter included? <laughs> Possibly. Yeah. I mean, I will probably want to film something at that point. Um, there's also uh, a thing I can mention is that part of, as part of like the explosion of popularity around the book, uh, there were two deals that happened right around that time. And this, these all happened within the first couple of weeks of, the, of that post going viral. Uh, one is I sold the TV and film rights to uh, man, fuck this house. And so it's been it, it was being developed as a TV series right before the strikes, and that's on hold right now. But you know, hey, that's the industry, right? And that development will continue once the strikes end, hopefully soon. Um, so I'm very excited about that. And uh, and then the other deal was I signed a two book deal with Blackstone, where they bought the rights to Man Fuck This House to republish that with short stories, kind of like Eric LaRocca did with Titan Books and his. Uh, 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 his, um, his 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 book uh, things have gotten worse since last we spoke, and the other the other book uh, I, I sold to Titan uh, or sorry not uh, sorry Blackstone Blackstone Blackstone's great love Blackstone. Uh, the other book I sold to Blackstone is called Good Dogs, and that's coming out in October first, twenty twenty four. Yeah, that's the is that the one about werewolves that you told? It's me a about? werewolf book. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's my it's my take. Like ideally, at some like one of my ultimate career goals is to write a book about every trope in horror. Yay. You know, so we've got the uh, you know we've got the haunted house book out there. This is going to be my werewolf book. It's also a slasher book. Essentially, it's a it's a high concept uh, uh, slasher, but essentially, uh, it's it, it's about a group of werewolves who go off to the woods to be able to go wolf out and enjoy themselves, and they start getting picked off one by one by a slasher. So werewolves meet slashers where werewolves are the victim. Yeah, I love that. I love that blending. Thank um, you. Kind of like it's just so fun and twisty, and you know, it's it. You know, it, uh, 
man, fuck, this house is an absolute pleasure to read. Like I was a <laughs> big horror reader. I was a huge Stephen King fan as as a teenager and um, <clears throat> John Saul and Dean Koontz, like all those old school um, suspense horror thriller writers. I think you, I think I read that you weren't like always fully immersed in horror, but you were reading everything like, but in, in different stages of your, like, as you got older, you were digging into different things like Elmore Leonard. And so tell me about like how, how Brian, how do you pronounce your last name? Asman. Asman. Uh, so. Yeah. You actually have to yell it. Like there's a, there's an exclamation point on the, and, and the end to so just yell it. Asman. Asman. Okay. Pronunciation. Yeah. Just Excellent. yell it. So like, how, how did every, how did you develop as a writer? Sure. Well, I mean, so to your point, I think it's really important to read, uh, read widely and read outside of the genres that you write, because otherwise, you know, they're, like I can tell when I read someone's book and they're like, I can tell that they only read horror because it feels like they've just kind of, that's their only frame of reference. And they're just kind of, I don't want to, I'm not talking about anyone in particular here, but uh, sometimes it just feels like it's a regurgitation or a, or a recycling of what we've seen before. And I think to, to create something new, you have to like draw in disparate influences. Um, yeah. Growing up, like I've always liked horror, but as far as horror fiction goes growing up, I mean, I read some Stephen King, but you know, it's always been an access issue, right? You go to the library and there's probably not even a horror session, section. Stephen King's going to be uh, interspersed amongst uh, probably uh, the adult fiction, adult literature, or potentially sci-fi fantasy, stuff like that. I was really more of a fantasy reader growing up. I like the like the quest stuff and like, you know, like Tad Williams and, uh, you know, Tolkien and things like that. You know, it's like, send me on a big heroic quest um, in a secondary world. Uh, with cool magic and, uh, you know, fantasy races like orcs and elves and stuff like that. And then I I, I started reading a lot of crime as I got older, too. Um, you know, a lot of, you know, like like you said, Elmore Leonard. I love Tim Dorsey. I loved, like, comedic crime type stuff. <laughs> that was always fun to me, uh, fun for me. And just, uh, I went through a period in my early 20s where I wanted to be a writer. And I really wanted to write, like serious literature you know and so i was trying to write these short stories that i thought was what you know uh, a serious literary mag would like and they all were kind of like meh kind of lifeless because i didn't really I, I, it wasn't what i really wanted to write you know and i was trying to force myself to write something i didn't really want to and for a long time i, I i'd start a story and then kind of abandoned it or i'd start i wrote half of a novel and then just couldn't figure out where it was going and abandoned it and, you know, I'd go through fallow periods where I was barely writing at all, you know, and I'd, I hit this, I hit a uh, milestone age, I was going to be turning 35. And I had always pictured myself as like a professional writer by that point, you know, with like walking to a Barnes and Noble and my books, you know, on the table out front in hardcover and paperback and yada, 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 right. And I, I'm about to turn this age, and I realize all the things I've imagined for my life haven't happened, because I haven't made them happen, you know. And so something flipped in my head then where I was like, you know, I'm going to start writing every day and I'm, I'm going to write the stuff I really want to write, which was horror, you know, and having watched a lot of horror movies, but I had read only periodically read horror fiction throughout the years, mostly like uh, King. I had read a ton of Stephen King, read some Dean Koontz, uh, Adam Neville, uh, 
people like that. But I had a whole big horror education that I had that I needed to give myself, you know. And so there are writers like, you know, uh, Richard Lehman and Ed Lee and people like that um, who I got into uh, as part of the I need to read as much horror as I can if this is really what I want to write, you know. And it was a lot of fun. <laughs> Do you find that there's a difference in writing for the novellas and what you're producing for Blackstone? There, yes and no. So I think I do have a kind of a house style that I employ, but the tone does shift a little bit here and there. So I think the novella stuff in, I find in short bursts, that's more compatible for things like comedy. You know, I think I think a short, punchy, fun, fun and funny novella, um, it, like I think that works. I think it's harder to sustain a, like a kind of an actual comedy over the course of a novel. So there are differences, I think, between my my long form work tends to be more serious and my short term form work tends to be a little more a uh, little more voice based, a little more in your face and a little more just like I'm going to take you like someone described my work once as like like you're like you're like a like a very drunk guy at a bar yelling a story at me, but the story is super compelling. And I was like, yeah, I think that's a fine way to describe some of my developer work. That me. is so on brand. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, and then, and then, you'll never fucking believe what happens next. And then this happened. What? <laughs> and I'm like up on the bar, like knocking over people's drinks and no one even cares because it's just so fun. And everyone's like, God, you got to watch this guy. So, yeah, I think those are the, the main differences between what I'm doing stylistically and tone-wise and everything like that. And uh, I, I think my work will probably evolve in more of a serious direction. Not that there aren't... So even my comedies, there's deeper layers to them if people take the time to peel them back, where it's like, oh, this isn't just a dumb story about ninjas and nunchucks. There's actually... Uh, philosophical or political points I'm making with that I think uh, because of the the tone people don't always delve deeper into. Right. Yeah. Listen. Tell us the premise of Nunchuck, Nunchuck City, because it's like it's just so. You're right. Like you, people approach a title with a certain mindset of how it's going to go, and you just fuck us up. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So Nunchuck City is inspired by my boyhood love of things like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and games like Bad Dudes and Double Dragon, all the side-scrolling beat 'em ups. So I wanted to write essentially a, um, a like a side-scrolling arcade beat 'em up game that you could read. And the book is about a guy named a guy named Nick who's the world's greatest ninja, except he doesn't want to be a ninja. He wants to open up a fondue restaurant. Yeah. This is his his passion in life. All he wants is to open up the world's best fondue shop. In this case, he's decided to open up a drive-through fondue shop and really, really bring fondue to the masses, you know? And so the the premise of the book is he's heading to City Hall to apply for a business license when City Hall is attacked by ninjas who kidnap the mayor, and the ninja the head of the ninjas is Nick's old enemy who killed his master. And so, and then Nick's uh, Nick's old flame shows up, who's been in pursuit of this guy, and they have to team up uh, to take him down and save the mayor and open Nick's drive-through fondue shop. Amazing! It's like <laughs> you, you know, you you unapologetically have fun with what you write. I think that's important, though. So even when I'm doing more serious stuff, I find it 
like there's a few things I enjoy more than just sitting and actual actually writing. Like, you know, I see people on Twitter all the time talking about how much they hate writing. And I'm like, then you're doing it wrong. You know, I like I think part of it is you have to give yourself permission just to have fun with it. And not everything you write has to be the best thing you've ever written. And you have to kind of let go of that judgment to an extent while you're writing and then apply that judgment when you're editing and later on, you know. When are you most creative? Um, I, That kind of depends. I mean, I, I tend to write in the evenings because I have a day job. Uh, but I am always like, I take my dog for walks and we're, we'll, we'll go on long walks. You know, he's a big dog. He's 70 pounds. He likes exercise. So we'll generally walk about three to five miles a day. And during that time, I'm, you know, often like listening to music and then thinking about what I want to write. And that's where I get a lot of ideas is just cruising around and things pop into my head, you know, and I'll, or sometimes it's just something that I see on the streets, you know. Uh, I live in kind of, I live in a beach area and there's a lot of action on the streets here. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff going down a lot of the time. So it's a good, good source of uh, inspiration for sure. What is the most surprising thing that has happened so far in your journey? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I think I like honestly just getting like the film and book deal within like, you know, a couple of weeks of each other. Um, that was really huge. And those those were related in that my editor at Blackstone, a Brendan Deneen, a also he specializes in selling Blackstone properties to Hollywood because he used to work for Dimension and he's got a lot of connections there, which is awesome. And so he made that deal happen. Um, but yeah, I think generally going like I put out this like 40,000 uh, 40, word indie novella um, with a square word in the title and like it's blown up into this big thing and like the, the, you know all the stuff like I think that's the most surprising thing you know I knew the book had merit but I didn't know it was going to do this obviously you must get such a chuckle out of like <clears throat> pardon me walking into a bookstore <laughs> and like seeing it there on the table and you know like I just sort of picture like old ladies going oh, oh my gosh like it's a bad word <laughs> There is like, so I've had, I, I've met a lot of booksellers through this and they've told me like, you know, most, most of the time people look it up and they're like, oh, like pick it up and they're like, oh my God, look at this. This is hilarious. And then occasionally we'll get someone who's like, what's this world coming to, you know? Um, but sometimes that person buys the book too. It's a, it, it's a lot of fun for me. Whenever I travel, I tend to go into the local bookstores and if they have copies on the shelf, I'll see, I'll like ask if I can sign them while I'm there. Um, which is always super fun popping in and, you know. What is the most obscure place you found the book? What's the most obscure place? Um, I mean, I think uh, readers in different countries have sent me like, uh, you know, pictures of it on, on the shelf at their local bookstore. I, I think probably there was, I believe there was one that was like a smaller town in Alaska had a copy on the, on the shelf, which is not a foreign country, obviously. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that's probably one of the more surprising places. And then, just some of the celebrities that had picked up the book uh, was also kind of surprising. Um, when I don't know if, uh, if you know who Diedrich Bader is, he was on the Drew Carey show and whose line is it anyway? And Lawrence from Office Space. But he's, uh, I've always been a big fan of his, partly because of his roles, but also because he's from my hometown. Um, he went to, if they hadn't, like, he went to the high school that I would have gone to if they hadn't redrawn the district lines. So, 
um, you know, he grew up like kind of down the street from me, essentially. Um, and uh, he tweeted about my book and I was like, wow. this is really freaking cool right now. This person from my hometown who I looked to look him and Dave Grohl were people I looked up to growing up because they grew up in my same area and made something of the, you know, became celebrities, you know, like, this is cool. They're, you know, they were kind of role models in that respect, you know. How do you get through those times when you're thinking, man, fuck this writing shit? <laughs> you know, I honestly, I, this is going to be a, a, a cheater of an answer, but I don't like it's I don't, okay. think that. you know, I'm sure. Do I have projects that are going not as well as I'd like them to? Yeah, some right now, actually. Um, but I'm I always I generally always feel fortunate that I get to do this, that I get to write books and that uh, I most of all have people that want to read them. And I recognize how rare that is. Like there's a lot of people that write books who, you know, never get anything done. And then there's people who write books and can't attract an audience and that sucks. And I feel incredibly fortunate. So like, I'm never like, fuck this writing thing. You know, I'm always just like, I can't believe I get to do this. This is great. <laughs> Yeah, even even the shitty days are like a blessing, right? Yeah, it's like um oh god, it's like that like that movie The Disaster Artist where, you know, uh, I don't know if your audience has seen that, but it's about the filming of The Room. And there's a at this one point there's this older actress who had just passed out on set because uh, the director won't pay for AC, and she says something along the lines of like, you know, any day on a movie set, uh, even the worst day on a movie set is better than the best day out in the world and that's sort of how i feel about writing even my worst day writing at least i'm getting to create art and produce things and i get to i'm lucky in that i largely get to do it completely on my own terms yeah and you still have a day job as most of us do right that's yeah just, that's just the reality of being a writer yeah and i'm, I'm also very fortunate there too is that I have a, a, a my, my day job I have a career that I love and am passionate about as well that also grants me my grants me flexibility uh to pursue writing um I remember uh, back in 2017 I took a three-month sabbatical from work to focus on writing and they were super supportive and wonderful about that um so that really helped I was I was writing I wrote a almost 300,000 word novel uh I, I, I mean I in, wrote about wait wait in three months no, I mean, so I wrote it. Okay. I start. I started it. Um, it took me about six months to finish it. So I wrote. Um, I wrote. I wrote a little. I, I wrote probably the first sixty percent during those three months, and then I. I just kind of kept that energy up and continued. Um, it's one of those kind of trunk novels that will never see the light of day. But I. <laughs> I, I essentially, within six, like you know, they say, uh, if you want to be a writer, write ten books, and then your eleventh book is the one that like you should try to like sell to publishers get an agent etc because you have to work out how to write a book and it takes time to do that you know so i kind of just decided to speed run learning to write and you know just wrote three novels at once essentially <laughs> yes i was just gonna say so you wrote three hundred thousand words which is like three or four books so you you know you covered a lot of territory did it did. ever bother you like to think that that's not ever gonna go anywhere um, well, no. So I think I, I went into it going like, especially like in my first novel that I wrote will definitely never go anywhere. But that was more of a, you know, I just I needed to learn how to write a novel, basically. And at, like that, that one, I as I was writing it, I'm like, this is never going to be published. But I get to the end and I had finally um, 
I, I just can't say enough how much the mental hurdle that I had to get over of like, oh shit, now I can write a book. Because when you're first starting out, the idea of writing, um, you know, a 300 page book or something like that, it seems almost insurmountable mentally, right? That's a lot of words. Like, how do I, how do I write that many words about a subject? Like how many, how do I have that many scenes? Like, how do I have like, you know, what, I don't even know what's going to happen. Like, you know, I had so many books I'd started, I'd be like, okay, I have an idea for the first chapter. And I'm like, well, what happens now? I have no idea. Um, so I think, you know, the first couple books going through was more like I approached them as learning experiences. And I was like, hey, if something, if I end up with something that I can sell after this, great. But that's unlikely to happen. You know, I approached it with that, write your first 10 books. And honestly, the things I learned in those early books are things that I'm carrying through to books now that are getting published. So they're not they're not waste. They're what's made me who I am. What is the most important thing you've learned? I think the most important thing that I've learned is that if you if you want to be a writer, you can be a writer. And I, I think that the raw talent helps and makes things happen faster and easier. But I, I look at it like this back in 2016, when I first started out, I found, I made, I made a lot of friends on the lit reactor forums and I took classes through them and also through, uh, you know, uh, this is horror, the podcast, they had a discord that I joined and made some friends there. And out of all the people that I met back then, most of them were just around my level of starting out, you know, maybe they had one or two small publication credits and something. Out of all those people, when I think back, um, every single one of them that kept writing experienced some sort of success. Um, now, none of us are Stephen King, obviously, but like if someone was like, I really want to sell a short story to an anthology, you know, they kept trying for a couple of years and eventually did that. Or if someone's like a number of us have had uh, like, you know, novellas come out that were well received. Um, or novel or full-length novels that were well received. Um, you know, there are a number of people that came out of that that those groups that I, I first found who have had successes like that. Um, and the if you want to be a writer, um, all the writers that you see that are successful are people who didn't quit, right? And it's it's difficult to see. Like we only see the end product, right? We don't see like you know it's not like a, not like mathematics where you have to like show your work, you know. Like when you look at a writer who looks like an overnight success, you don't know what work they put in, right? Like that person might've been getting up at 5 a.m. every day to write uh, for the last 20 years or something like that. Or, you know, maybe they just sat down one day, decided to write a novel and that's the, that it was perfect out of the gate. Who knows, you know, but I, I generally find that if you write a lot and read a lot and don't quit, you can achieve some measure of success in this business. Um, and a lot, there are a lot of factors outside of your control, but control the things that you can. Fantastic advice. Thank you for that. I'm looking forward to whatever else comes out of that crazy brain of yours. It's super, yeah. it must be like super color, colorful in there. Yeah, <laughs> it's essentially there's just circus music going 24 seven inside my head, like. Yeah, I don't know. I just kind of like I, I, I get I get very excited about certain things, you know. And when I get excited about something, I just try to capitalize on that and just roll with that feeling, you know. Well, that energy certainly does come through the page, a hundred percent. I will say that. Thank you. So, Thank you. Yes, Brian. Brian Asman. Did I do it right? 
Aspen! Yes. Okay, got it. I'll practice. Uh, thank you so much for your time. I'm super pleased to see the level of success that you had, uh, especially with Man Fuck This House and going forward with the new stuff. I'm super, I'm really looking forward to that werewolf slasher uh, book. Thank you. That'll be fun. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of What Were You Thinking? You can check out Brian's books at his website, brianasmanbooks.com. Sorry, I just had to say it like that. I'd also like to invite you to check out my own books at my website, danagoldstein.ca. I have a brand new middle grade out there ready for the world to put their eyes on. It's called Shift. And it tells the story of 12-year-old Dax Masters, and he helps identify a problem with the planet that nobody else has picked up on. Shift is available wherever books are sold. Once again, thanks for giving me your ears. Peter, where the hell have you been? Every time you we, we, that we go to a hotel, you hide the key to the minibar from me. But I found it. I found it.